Welcome to the Broly Marketing Podcast Series, where we explore anything and everything to do with running your small business. Today, we are going to look at something which all companies, big and small, startup or established multinational, need to think about, and that's visual media. It's a term that encompasses a great deal from branding and brand identity to letterheads and email signatures, from brochures to websites and corporate videos, and even your company Facebook page or Twitter account. Your visual representation is almost everywhere, and how it looks and its consistency says a great deal about your organisation, and more importantly, how others perceive it. My name is Dave Harris, and joining me to talk about this very big subject is Doug Benson. Doug is the founder of a design company called Visual Dialogue Limited, and he's also an associate at Broly Marketing. Doug is a highly experienced visual identity designer and developer, helping hundreds of clients create visual and brand identities over many years. Doug, thank you very much for joining me to try and explain some of this to me. Let's start at the beginning. Why would you say, I mean, if somebody said to you, why do I need visual media? Why do I need a, a visual identity? Because my company, I make these fantastic gizmos and, and surely they speak for themselves. So why do I care about this visual media stuff? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. So um, I would say for the most part, visual uh, brand of visual identity is partly about um, consistency. So uh, if somebody says, OK, well, you know, I want to communicate what I do, then there's no doubt that probably I would say 60 percent of what people remember will be more visual than it would be text based. So the more you put out with visual consistency to tell the world about what you do, the more stickiness it would have and and the more memorable um, people are going to uh, find your um, find your business so that's really in a nutshell is why why people would want to continue to put out visual identity okay so a picture speaks a thousand words and uh, it's the old cliche but uh, but i think it's uh, it's obviously based in truth so okay so we, we accept that we need the visual media we need the visual identity but what about this issue of you know, getting it done professionally. You know, can't I just find a nice typeface or a nice font and and type my name and say, oh yeah, that'll do, and, and kind of leave it at that? Or why am I spending money using professionals? Sure. So there's no doubt that there are people, obviously, who do exactly that. What you find, though, as a business grows, uh, is that in order for you to maintain your professional profile. You need professional graphics. It's like any. It's like anything. If you know, you you could say, well, could I build my own car or could I build my own house? And there are people who have certain talents or, or want to do that. But at the end of the day, if you if you want that X factor of creativity, if you want that consistency, if you want somebody who understands uh, color tones and uh, you know how to pair that with the right typographical styling, and to build some real story and depth into your brand of visual identity, that takes somebody with the right level of training. That's you know, somebody who's, who's spent, you know, an inordinate amount of time crafting their skill to be able to do that for you properly. So let's talk a little bit about some of the terms that we come across in, in visual media. So I'm thinking of things like branding. Obviously, we, everybody talks about their brand and brand identity and their visual ID. And of course, the logo, because I think a lot of people think all that stuff is kind of the same thing, but it, it isn't, is it? So, so explain to me a little bit about you know what those terms actually mean and why they're important. Yes, certainly you're right. It isn't the same thing, and but it's also the biggest misconception that people have the difference between you know branding, visual identity, um, your logo, and so on. And it actually, 
if you were to ask most businesses that don't understand the difference between those things to show you their brand identity, they would probably show you their logo. But in essence, they all have a part to play. So branding is not something that you can hold. It's not a tangible thing that, 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 that you own. It's the relationship your customers or your audience has with your products or your services. Now, that could be good or bad, depending on the experience they have with, with that. But that is essentially branding is the personal experience somebody has with your products or services. However, that can be influenced by brand identity. And brand identity is, is the essence of what makes you, you. So it's your vision for the, for the business. It's your mission. It's your core values. It's your tone of voice. It's your proposition and your purpose. All of those things need to be documented in order for you to understand what's unique about your business, why you exist, and, and um, how that should be put across to the world so that they can differentiate you to everybody else, the sea of competition, let's say. In order to visually present that, you need a visual identity that is consistent and also supports the brand identity effectively. And that's where the uh, that's where the designers come in. So it's their responsibility responsibility to essentially craft you an identity, visual identity that supports the brand identity that that will remain consistent, so that over a period of time it gains asset value and people recognise you for all the values that you've put in, you work hard to put into your into your business. The logo is essentially your flag. It's your or your badge. It's the thing that sits at the top. It's a thing that when people see your identity or your logo, in this case, they know exactly what it represents. So if you effectively don't build all the support structure behind the logo, the logo means nothing to anybody. But if you've educated everybody as to why you're unique and why you're different, then your logo is that one sort of visual tool, if you like, that everybody can grasp and say, I know what that business is about. That is absolutely fascinating, Doug. Thank you for that really clear explanation. So if I've, if I've understood this correctly, uh, and, and let's face it, I've misunderstood it for many years, but if I've understood it now correctly, it sort of feels like a pyramid. You know, you've got this foundation of, of the company brand, the, 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 the identity, the, the, the values of the company, the philosophy, the mission, that sort of thing, the why, if you like. And then on top of that, uh, the visual ID is something that the professional designer can help you with and, 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 and make sure that that is congruent and that it works with all of that stuff underneath. And the logo is really the tip of the iceberg. It's just the bit, as you say, the flag you described as, which I think was great. Have I understood it correctly? Yeah, actually, an iceberg is a good analogy, in fact, because if you think of an iceberg, uh, at the top of the iceberg would be your, your logo, your flag, as, as you uh, pointed out. And then everything that's above the waterline is the is the bits that are visual, essentially. Your visual, your visual identity that everybody sees. However, what's below the waterline is, if you like, the support structure. It's it's all the brand and vision and purpose, all those elements that make you make you unique. So that I would say that's an, a, a pretty good analogy of of how somebody might want to view it. So let's now talk about uh, the business of bringing all those things together. So I, I, I referred to congruence just now, and and because I I know from personal experience that I've seen companies where there is an incongruence 
can exist between a logo and a visual ID and the and the brand and what the company really represents. So how do you bring those together? I, I, I mean, you talk. I think you did talk about documenting these things earlier as well. Uh, so how would you go about that? I mean, is it like having a rule book almost for a company? Yeah, essentially, it's the purpose of a brand guidelines document. Now, a brand guidelines document can mean different things to different people. At a very basic level, the brand guidelines document are normally for visual representation of the logo, the color palette, typographical styling, the do's and don'ts, if you like, of how you use that logo. They're the practical elements that other designers will want to follow or any other third party that you perhaps may use where you're producing visual media and you want to maintain the consistent tone and correct use of your materials that you put out there so that um, you know people will recognize what, what you are and there's, there's no uh, contradiction perhaps in many visual styles. However, brand guidelines are, are, are much deeper than that and particularly they are very good for educating or onboarding your staff in as much that you use them for educating people about what you are so that so if you've essentially put the essence elements the say the purpose the vision the mission if you've documented all those things and put those into the brand guidelines they become your business bible in essence and you know your employees are your biggest ambassadors so if you've used that as a you have that as a as a tool to remind people what you're about then you build on that that uh, consistent uh, value and representation of what your brand represents. I'm fascinated by this, this difference between the perhaps the visual guidelines, which might come in a little booklet and be given to, you know, for example, when I've been producing videos in the past, you know, sometimes bigger companies will have these these little booklets which they'll give me and say, right, make sure that all the times you use our brand have to follow these rules. And sometimes those rules seem very pernickety, to be honest. You know, you've got to have, you know, the logo has to be at least one third up the screen or two thirds to the left, you know, and everything has to be just so. Uh, but obviously somebody has worked all this stuff out. So it's it's there for a reason, presumably. But what you're saying is that that visual, those visual rules are really just building on top of the more important brand rules, if you like, which are the mission and purpose and all that sort of thing. So ideally, all those things have to tie together to bring this sort of unified sense of what the company's about, as well as what it looks like. Yeah. So, I mean, what I would say is that they, the brand identity and the visual identity, one is not more important than the other. They just have different parts to play. So, with a brand identity, the idea of that is to remind everybody in your organization what you represent, who you are, why you're in business. Um, but also you can use that as your story, if you like, the depth of story that you, that, that you put out there. The visual identity is there to maintain consistency for the visual styles. And to be honest with you, some brand identities go into a lot of detail in, in, in that re respect. If they're handed out to the wrong people, it, it can it can look like um, you know a, a, an awful lot of information to get your head round. And if they are you know pages and pages worth of, of, of information, you may wonder, well, how can I possibly uh, interpret all of this correctly? Well, the larger the organisation, the more opportunity, if you like, there is for brand inconsistency. But then you need to have people within your organisation whose job it is to understand the brand and maintain, if you like, police that, that brand. 
the bigger the organization, the, the more chance you'll have, if you like, the corporate de- departments to look after that, to that element. Uh, however, at a more, if you like, tactical or practical level where, where you may be producing some, I don't know, some roll banners or something fairly simple, you don't need to have that depth of, of knowledge. And often it's about finding the right approach to build a brand guidelines so that it becomes useful for everybody in the right way and so that you essentially don't give a very large brand identity guidelines to people who essentially can't follow it and therefore it, it, it you know, you, it, it doesn't. It's not consistent anymore. Yeah, can't follow it and don't need to follow it, frankly, because all, as you say, if all they're doing is is producing, um, you know, a banner for an exhibition, then you know they just need to know how how the banner needs to look. They don't need to know the pages and pages of other stuff that uh, that, that is necessary for for other departments. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's so it's 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 producing the right kind of useful. Um, guidelines for the size of business as well so uh, like I mentioned before the bigger the business probably the chances are you're going to have a more in-depth brand guidelines the smaller the business the less need there is for for something that's that's so detailed and often as you find anyway most companies they they evolve their brand over a period of time anyway so you kind of build that brand guidelines and the thing about it is that these are guidelines for a reason. They're not, you know, this is not cast in stone. The idea is there to guide people to, to towards consistency, but they should never restrict creativity. It's up to the designer to interpret the guidelines in such a way where, you know, they can build that consistency, but it, but it doesn't it doesn't hold them back. Okay, so let's talk a little bit now about how you would go about doing this. So you, Doug, as a professional, are presumably you know there are a few different scenarios so for example a startup might come to you and say you know here's a blank sheet of paper uh you know create our identity uh, whereas a, an established company the growing company as you say might have developed stuff over a number of years and there may be some built-in inconsistencies and they may come to you to say you know sort it all out for us so how do you approach those two different scenarios where you know, where do you start First of all, working out the size of the business and how they intend to use the, the visual, visual and brand identity is, is important to know how you then produce the right kind of documentation that they can take forward. The, the worst case scenario is that you produce a, a, you know, an identity guidelines and then it gets put in a drawer and nobody really ever looks at it again and then you lose that consistency. So producing, as I said before, producing in such a way that, that, that it becomes useful and for a small business – Certainly, there are going to be some important things to consider, like your color palette and your typographical styles, the do's and don'ts of using your your logo, particularly if you've got people internally producing marketing materials that may not necessarily be a trained designer as well. However, the bigger the organization, the more I said, the more depth you're going to need to have. Uh, for that and in that scenario you need to be plugged into those people who are going to police the brand guidelines and it could be a global organization for instance so you need to know how how that's going to work in in different uh, in different regions i'm very interested to to hear your personal experience as well doug and may, maybe even you could give some examples without naming names of course but i wonder whether sometimes you know when you you come up with a design for a logo for example let's use that as a simple example but but even for more general brand guidelines you know do you often get i i wonder how you how you 
created in such a way that the client sort of says, oh, yeah, great, lovely? Or do they say, oh, that's not really what we had in mind, Doug, you know, go back to the drawing board? I mean, it seems to me that these things are quite subjective. Design is a very subjective thing. And, and um, not everything that, that is created um, is necessarily going to be received in the way that you hope it's going to be received. In my experience, we have a very good track record of, of, of doing it well. And, and the reason for that is that essentially we ask the right questions at the beginning. We involve the client so that, you know, they are part of that. They're an important part of that team and that decision making uh, process that you invite the right people at the right point within the within that process in order to to get the right outcome if you invite somebody to have a you know to have a, a critique if you like that's not been involved in that process they will critique of course but it will be purely on a visual basis and good design is about storytelling and depth and the only way that you can get that across is if you ha- have people who have been involved right from the beginning uh, from the briefing stage through any workshop and focus groups. Um, so they have a complete picture of what we're trying to achieve uh, within that within that process. So I would say certainly avoid getting decision makers who, who are outside of that process. Um, they won't influence in necessarily the right way. I'm not suggesting, of course, that people can't have a, you know, have an opinion. Everybody can have an opinion. And as you say, it is a very subjective thing. But you have to ask why they're why why they're making that um, you know that decision as to whether they do or, or don't like something. So I understand that the ideal scenario is that everybody's involved and or everybody that matters is involved and and you take them you know you make sure you understand what they want and what they're after and what you know so that, so that you know there's a really good chance that there are no surprises and that that when you come up with that design they're going to say oh yeah okay you've, you've well done Doug you've captured what we're after there. But I wonder, you know, in the real world, of course, the reality is that perhaps, you know, the MD or the financial director isn't involved because they're too busy elsewhere. You know, they can't they can't get their hands dirty with this sort of stuff. And then inevitably, they are consulted. You know, they are sent these, these news. You know, what do you think of this, guys? And uh, and as you say, they then give an opinion based on their immediate reaction, not based on the discussions that, that have gone on, you know, sort of designed by committee. And I, I, it, it, that sounds like that could be a bit of a nightmare for, for you as the, as the person actually trying to come up with this identity for them. I think the, the, the way you tackle that, if that was the scenario, is that, that you make sure that the people you are dealing with in the organisation are fully aware of, of the story um, and are equipped with everything they need that they need in order to take that forward to to a decision maker that, that you haven't um, been able to join the, the, the group in essence there isn't necessarily a always a right way to do it I mean there's design is normally done in stages as well there's no magic wand it's it's hard graft and process um and you you craft a design over a period of stages from the concept stage to sort of second or third stage design based on feedback and then final artwork from a a particular chosen uh design um and you, i would hope that the, the right decision makers are involved in that process throughout that period but as a designer you know it's our it's our business to make sure that the right people are in in the room but if they're not, there's not a lot you can do about that. You can what you would do is you just say is you equip the people that are taking it forward, um, so that they've got everything that they can possibly need in order to have that conversation. 
And what what do you do if things do go wrong? You know, if 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 you do get a sort of particularly stubborn MD or or company owner, you know, uh, uh, who who says go back to the drawing board. I mean, can you convince them? Is 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 there sometimes a you talk about education and is there a job of persuasion to do, or sometimes do you just have to kind of say, all right, I'll go back to the drawing board, you know, and and with you involved this time. Well, certainly you would invite them back in, of course, to say, well, if you, you know, if you, you have to analyze why they may not like something for a start. And they could have a very valid reason that hasn't come out of the brief that perhaps other parties within the organization, you know, were aware of. So you have to, first of all, um, ask them why they feel that way. But you have to go back to the brief. So you don't just go straight back to design. You go back to the brief and say, OK, why is this um, working for them or, or not working for them? But what you've described it sounds to me like quite a visual uh, decision rather than any decision made around data that perhaps you have or focus groups. So in order to get the right design out there, there's normally some kind of research that has to be done. Uh, and it could be around color. It could be around typographical style. It could be around, you know, tone of voice. So what's the difference between a, a, a visual identity for Rolls-Royce versus you know, Vauxhall, for instance, or, you know, Audi versus Marks and Spencer. So you have to look at those things uh, and say, is it right for, for the audience? So you can have an opinion. You can even, you know, not like something, but because you don't like it doesn't necessarily mean it's not right for your audience. That's an excellent point. And and, and as you say, I, I, I keep thinking of this, and I, I suspect lots of people do, in visual terms. You know, we're talking about visual identity, but as you say, it goes a lot deeper than that. We talked about the pyramid, the iceberg, whatever, and there's far more to it than just the the visual identity that we see when we look at the cereal packet or the uh, or the front of the car or whatever it might be. I wonder, Doug, before we finish, whether you could perhaps help us, help our listeners with a bit of advice about how you go about choosing a designer. So in other words, if you are a company that needs help with this and you've decided, you know, yes, we are going to use a professional for this, whether it's as a startup or as a developing company that just wants a bit of help, you know, how, how do you know you're going to get the right designer? What, do you, what should you look for? Are there some hints and tips you can give us? Okay, so there is no doubt the small business will be looking at employing a designer based on, on what they can afford to spend. Which is a sad fact um, because you do get designers out there who will create something purely on visual look and feel and they may well design you something that is kind of pretty but doesn't necessarily uh, work. So what I would suggest is listen to what they have to say. Look at the body of work. That's the really important thing. Look at the body of work that they've done and how they describe that, what they've done for others let them advise you if they are just taking a brief from you uh, and this is your vision then and they're not questioning why you're going about something in a, in a certain way then that is a slight red flag for me in my opinion the designer is there to guide you and to make sure that the outcome is not just right for you but is going to give you the best return based on what you're trying to achieve and that's a key thing is what do you want to achieve from spending money with a designer to create a new logo or identity and rather than just put a brief out there for somebody to fulfill. There are websites out there that do that. And if you're just starting up a really small business, 
cottage business, say, um, then maybe that will work for you for a while. But as you grow and you become successful, the more need there will be for, for consi- consistent brand identity. Doug, thank you very much. That has been so interesting. It's certainly been very educational for me. Uh, and I will think very carefully next time I think about my own brand identity, which I probably should be doing as we speak. You've been listening to the Broly Marketing Podcast with our special guest, Doug Benson from Visual Dialogue Limited. If you'd like to find out more about Doug and about Broly Marketing and the multidisciplinary services it offers, go to www.brollymarketing.co.uk, where you'll find information about Doug's expertise and, of course, more podcast episodes. So please subscribe, share, and keep listening.